Good morning, church. Let's stand to our feet. Let's give him some praise today.
before you today Lord there's a lot of fear in the world today there's a war there's hurt there's pain but Lord you are our future and we have that hope peace and that strength in you God you are the king of our hearts and you are good and so we worship you this morning 
We join with the angels and we sing your praises. Let's greet each other this morning. Turn to the person beside you and welcome them today.
AnastasiaKids.com and they will get you connected and, and ready to go. Also, we have a Sojourner, Sojourners event for ladies coming up November 4th. And if uh, you would like to get tickets and more information about that, there's a table in the atrium. There's also a table for the Care Connect in the, in the atrium also. Um, and so as we move forward, we'd just like to thank you for the the uh, generosity that you've shown to us, the giving that you've shown. And if you have uh, not partnered with us, we would love to invite you to do that. We have some offering boxes in the back. There's a couple in the atrium. Also, there's, uh, if you type connect to 904-4416-900, there's a place on the link tree where you can give digitally, and we'd really appreciate that. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for this day. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to be in your house and to serve father we thank you for this opportunity to worship father we just ask that as we take up an offering that you would bless this offering father you would bless those who give and those who receive father we ask that all these things we do in the mighty name of jesus amen and now we have a special event going on next door we'd love for you to uh take the opportunity to see think it's me. Maybe? Yeah? Okay. We're working. There. Hey! Yay! This is what happens when I come down here. Come on, Justin. I won't fire you, I promise. Well, good morning, church. I'm Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here at Anastasia. Um, And today we're going to be continuing in our sermon series that we've been calling Divided Heart, where we're looking at the... um, the different kings of Judah and Israel in the Old Testament. So last week, Pastor Walter was in here and he talked about Jeroboam. And today, we're going to talk about um, King Ahab. But to get there, I want to just kind of look because Jeroboam, we learned last week, wasn't great. He was called by God, but he let his, his fear be stronger than his faith. And because of that, he ended up not being a very good king. 
So let's kind of look at, at what happened after that. So he ruled for 22 years, and then his son, Nabad, took over. And he thought that was good news. It's not. So Nabad ruled over Israel for two years. 1 Kings 15, 26 tells us this. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, walked in the way of his father, and in his sin, which he made Israel to sin. Not a great start. But luckily, his reign was only two years because Basha of the tribe of Issachar killed him and all of Jeroboam's descendants. Um, he completed the prophecy that was given to Jeroboam's wife in 1 Kings 14. And surely now... Israel has the king that they need, right? Let's keep going. 1 Kings 15, 34. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of Jeroboam and in his sin, which he made Israel to sin. That sounds a little familiar because it's basically the exact same verse as the first one I read. And that's not great. But when Basha died, his son Elah reigned for two years. And so the commander of half of Elah's chariots, Zimri, came into his room one night and killed him. Zimri reigned for seven days. When the people heard, the people of Israel heard what Zimri had done, they called Omri, the commander of the army, and made him king and said, you go fix this for us, please. We don't like Zimri. Um, so Omri and his, his army went and they besieged the, the city that Zimri was in. And when Zimri saw the city was taken, he burned the house down that he was in, the house of the king, burned it all down with himself in it. And Omri became king. Omri reigned for 12 years. Surely this must be the king that was promised, right? 1 Kings 16, 25. Omri did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did more evil than all who were before him. Doesn't look like it. So now after that history lesson, we arrive at the king that we're going to be looking at today. It's King Ahab. Um, have any of you ever made or had someone make a bad first impression? I am quite confident um, both of those things are true for me. I have made a bad first impression, and I have certainly had people make a bad first impression. First impressions are tricky because they happen really fast, and they're really hard to change. In general, it takes about seven seconds. For someone to decide who you are when they meet you. A Princeton study, study showed that um, some people are so good at, at that perception of figuring it out, it takes them a tenth of a second. And they can accurately read what kind of person you are. That's scary. I don't, I don't love that. But today, we're going to be looking at what kind of first impression does King Ahab get us? The first time we're going to see him in the Bible, how does it go? And if you remember, we just talked about decades of terrible kings in front of him. He does not have to work that hard. You hear sometimes like someone has big shoes to fill. He has little teeny tiny baby shoes to fill. <laughs> if he can just be decent, he's golden. They're going to be like, this is the best king ever. This is incredible. So that's where we're going to start. If you can do so comfortably, would you please stand with me in honor of God's word? <clears throat> it's going to be 1 Kings 16, 29 through 34. It says, in the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah. So Jeroboam's son, Nebad, started, that we started our history lesson with. He took over in Asa's second year. So the, Judah's had the same king in all that time that Israel had all these other kings. We'll keep going. Ahab, the son of Omri, began to reign over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel and Samaria for 22 years. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord, more than all who were before him. And as for his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. He erected, an he erected an altar to Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. And Ahab made an Asherah. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. In his days, Hiel of Bethel built Jericho. He laid his foundation at the cost of Abram, his firstborn, and set up its gates at the cost of his youngest son, Segub, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Joshua, the son of Nun. Let's pray. Dear God, just thank you so much for today. Um, I thank you that we're able to come here and gather together and worship you and learn more about you. So I pray today that that you'll give me the words to say, you'll give all of us the ears to hear it and the hearts to do 
what you're calling us to do. We ask all this in your name, amen. Thank you, you guys can be seated. So this is not the best first impression I've ever seen. We just went over all of the terrible kings of Israel that led up to Ahab. And then we're told that he did more evil in the sight of the Lord than all of them. That's not great. But I do think that there's plenty that we can learn from King Ahab, both good and bad, and plenty that we can learn about how God interacts with King Ahab. So today I wanna look at four stories about Ahab's reign and see what we can learn. In 1 Kings 17 is where we're gonna start. Um, Some of you might know this story already, but the prophet Elijah came to Ahab and said, God told me there's gonna be a drought. It will not rain in Israel until I tell the rain to happen. And then three years later, God tells Elijah, hey, it's time. Go to Ahab and tell him that I'm gonna make it rain. So Elijah goes to Ahab and tells him, hey, gather all of your prophets, all of the prophets of Baal and of Asherah, or, <clears throat> and to gather all of them, have them come and meet me on top of Mount Carmel. So that's 850 prophets against Elijah. And that's what we're gonna pick up. Now we're in 1 Kings 18, 20 through 24. So, so Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to, to all the people and said, how long will you go limping between two different options? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left of the prophets of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. So let the two bulls be given to us and let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you will call upon the name of your God and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. So the story then goes on. The prophets of Baal and Asherah, they they prepare their offering and they put it up on their altar and they danced and they sang and they did everything that they could to try to get Baal's attention and say, please, please, come on, come on, make fire, make this fire, make this fire. And nothing happened. So after about a whole day of them trying, Elijah said, okay, it's my turn. So he goes, he, he rebuilds the altar of Yahweh that was on this mountain that had been torn down. He dug a trench around it. And then he ordered that four jugs of water be brought up and poured onto this altar. And he said, okay, let's do that three more times. So we're talking about 12 jugs of water in the middle of a drought. I'm sure the people were like, this, why? Why in the world would you be doing that? But everything is soaked. It says the water even went and filled the trench that was dug around it. And you got to remember, it's a drought. That land would have been sucking up water. This is a pile of water to be able to make that trench be full. And we'll keep going. Um, Verses 36 to 39 says, And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. And I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, that you have turned their hearts back. And then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. So when I read this story, and I look at all the history that we already went over, I see that, that we have a God that loves his people so very much. Remember, it had been decades of kings that did evil in the sight of the Lord, and it said the people were doing the evil that the kings were doing. Decades of the people of Israel worshiping other gods and ignoring their God. But our God gives second chances. That's the first thing you can write down if you're taking notes. Our God gives second chances. It doesn't matter what happened in the past. We have a God that loves us so very much and our God gives second chances. Let's see what else we can learn. First Kings 19, this is immediately after what happened on Mount Carmel. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid 
And he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belonged to Judah, and left his servant there. So Elijah and King Ahab, they, they arrive at the entrance of Jezreel. And this is when we learn that Jezebel, the queen, did not go to Mount Carmel. She stayed home. So Jezebel was not, um, was not present for the confrontation. She did not belong to all the people of Israel that the king gathered. <clears throat> she was certainly not among all the people who cried out, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. She was baiting in Jezreel. And it had been Jezebel's marriage to Ahab that had introduced the worship of Baal in the first place. She was the person that brought these prophets of Baal and Asherah in. She was the one that went and executed all the other prophets of the Lord. So Queen Jezebel was a scary lady. She's not somebody that I would want to know or talk to. But throughout the whole drama of everything that happened on Mount Carmel, she was waiting in the comfort of the palace, probably waiting and hoping for the news that finally this Elijah guy is getting taken care of. He's going to be gone. So the king came and he gave his queen a full account of what happened on Mount Carmel. Because Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets by the sword. So he told her about the efforts of her prophets crying out all day, crying out to Baal, saying, come on, send fire, send fire. He told her about the no voice, no answer, no attentiveness. He told her about the rebuilt altar of Yahweh and all that water. He told her about Elijah's prayer. He told her about the fire that fell down from heaven. And he told her about the people falling on their faces saying, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. He told her all that had happened to her prophets. He told her everything. And here's where we kind of have to read between the lines. But I don't think Ahab was tattling. I have a few kids. I have three kids. They're always tattling on each other. I don't think that's what was going on. Ahab didn't come and say, mm, Jezebel, they were mean. I think he said, look at this incredible moment, this incredible time where God showed up. He showed us how powerful he is. And he said, I repented. The people repented. I think you should repent. And then if that happened, suddenly this rebuild of Israel could begin, right? Suddenly we finally have a king and a queen that love the Lord. We have a people that are following the king and queen that love Yahweh. This is the time. But unfortunately, that's not what happens. Instead, Jezebel sends um, a messenger to Elijah and says, hey, you're gonna be dead by this time tomorrow. Ahab just sits back and watches. He says, oh, that's how we're handling it? Okay, cool, I'll, I'll go along with that. He just watched all this happen. He saw it with his own eyes. He didn't get a secondhand account like Jezebel did. He saw it all. He saw the life of his people change and he just abandoned it in that moment because of Jezebel. So if you're taking notes, the second thing you can write down today is be careful who you let speak into your life. Be careful who you let speak into your life. Ahab had an incredible moment with God that was just thrown away because of who he gave power and authority in his life. Are the people that you've given power drawing you closer to God or drawing you further away? Be careful who you let speak into your life. We'll keep going um, into chapter 20. So the king of Syria has gathered his army and has come to Ahab and said, hey, all the gold and silver that you have, as well as your wife and your kids, those are mine. Basically, he's saying, hey, I own you. I own you. You're mine. And Ahab says, oh, okay, sure. Everything, yep, everything I have, it's yours. I'll just hold on to it right now, but it's all yours. So then the king of Syria comes back and says, actually, I don't like that you're holding my stuff. Again, I have, I have three kids. They really don't like when they're holding each other's stuff. So the king, the king of Syria says, I don't like that you're holding my stuff. I'm gonna come take it. And Ahab says no to that. And that's where we're gonna pick up in our story. So this is 1 Kings 20, 13. It says, and behold, a prophet came near to Ahab, king of Israel, and said, thus says the Lord, have you seen all this great multitude? Behold, I will give it into your hand this day, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So giant army with the king of Syria is outside 
the um, prophet comes up and tells him, hey, the Lord says you're going to win. So Ahab and his men, strengthened by God, they go out and they defeat the king of Syria and his army. And the king of Syria escapes. After the battle, verse 22, and the prophet came near to the king of Israel and said to him, come, strengthen yourself, consider well what you have to do. For in the spring, the king of Syria will come up against you. In the spring, Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, he did return, and this time he had a, a special plan. Um, since the Israelites had no business defeating his army, he decided, you know, that God that they have, he must be a God of the hills. So we fought on a hill. We lost because they have a God of the hills. So this time, we're going to make them fight in a valley. Because if their God's a God of the hills, he can't be a God of the valley. Verse 28, and a man of God came near and said to the king of Israel, thus says the Lord, because the Syrians have said, the Lord is a God of the hills, but he is not a God of the valleys. Therefore, I will give all this great multitude into your hand and you shall know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites went out, they fought and they won. Ben-Hadad surrendered and he asked to be spared and Ahab agreed. He, he literally said like, oh, you... You, you're just done? You want to go home? Okay, yeah, yeah. This is my brother now. Ben-Hadad, that's, that's my brother. We're cool. And then let's finish off the story. Verses 42 and 43. It says, and he, a prophet, said to Ahab, thus says the Lord, because you've let go out of your hand the man that I had devoted to destruction, therefore your life shall be for his life and your people for his people. And the king of Israel went to his house vexed and sullen and came to Samaria. So when I first read through this story, I was a bit confused. So I went back through because I said, when, when was he told? Like, when was Ahab told that the king of Syria was devoted to destruction? So I, I read back through, I was like, I must have missed it because that seems like a, a pretty big, important thing. And it's not there. Ahab is never told that the king of Syria was devoted to destruction, but I did find something else. So every time that a prophet is mentioned, it says that he came near to Ahab. The prophet came near to Ahab. Ahab never asked for a prophet. Ahab never cared what God's plan was in this moment. Instead, God sent the prophets to him when he needed it. So I think... The prophet never told Ahab that the king of Syria was devoted to destruction because Ahab never asked. He didn't care about it. He never asked what God's full plan for the situation was. So he didn't seem to care what God's plan was. So the, the next point, or the last point that we had was be careful who you let speak into your life. My next point would be seek out godly people to speak into your life. Ahab may have a very different legacy if he had just asked God what the plan was. But he didn't. Continuing on, 1 Kings 21, 1 through 4. It says, Now Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard in Jezreel beside the palace of Ahab the king of Samaria. And after this, Ahab said to Naboth, Give me your vineyard that I may have it for a vegetable garden because it's near my house. And I'll give you a better vineyard for it, or if it seems good to you, I'll give you its value in money. But Naboth said to Ahab, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. And Ahab went into his house vexed and sullen because of what Naboth the Jezreelite had said to him. For he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed and turned away his face and would eat no food. This sounds a whole lot like my four-year-old when he asks for something and I say no just going, laying on his bed and pouting. Ahab's pouting. So Ahab's pouting. Jezebel comes in and asks, why? Like, hey, you're the king. What's, what's going on that has you in here pouting in your bed? And he says, Naboth won't give me his vineyard. And I offered to spend money on it. And I offered him a different one. I don't know if he sounded like that. But Jezebel says, What? Okay, I have a solution. So Jezebel sends a letter to the leaders of Naboth's city and says, hey, Naboth, he's cursed God and he's cursed the king. So you should stone him. And they do. 
So then Jezebel comes back to Ahab and says, hey, good news, he's dead now. Go get your vineyard. So Ahab's like, oh, cool. Hops up, goes to claim it. And that's where we're going to pick up our story. Um, This is 1 Kings 21, 17 through 24. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab the king of Syria, who is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone to take possession. And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, Have you killed and also taken possession? And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, In the place where the dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick your own blood. Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? He answered, I have found you. Because you have sold yourself to do what is evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring disaster upon you. I will utterly burn you up and will cut off from Ahab every male bond or free in Israel. And I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. And I will make it like the house of Bashah, the son of Ahijah. <clears throat> for the anger to which you have provoked me and because you have made Israel to sin. And of Jezebel, the Lord also said, the dog shall eat Jezebel within the walls of Jezreel. Anyone belonging to Ahab who dies in the city, the dog shall eat. Anyone who dies in the open country, the birds of the heavens shall eat. That got intense real quick. So it doesn't really seem right now like there's a way to, to get out of this if you're Ahab. We've already gone over all the other things that have happened. It, it kind of seems like this is done. You had your last chance. You're done. But... Our God isn't like this. Our God's not like us. His love knows no end. So let's finish off the story with verses 27 through 29. When Ahab heard those words, he tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his flesh and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about dejectedly. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite saying, have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring disaster in his days, but in his Sundays, I'll bring the disaster upon his house. So earlier we said that our God gives second chances. But he also gives third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, however many you need. So the next thing you can write down, our God continues to give forgiveness. Accept it. It's not a one-time thing. It's not a, you're forgiven, now go be perfect. It's you're forgiven over and over and over. So Ahab was one of the worst kings of Israel. I think we can see that, say that pretty confidently. But God continued to forgive him, to accept him. And if God can do that for someone like Ahab, why wouldn't he do that for someone like you or someone like me? So I don't know what you're dealing with this morning, but I do know that we serve a God that just wants to love you. That's it. He just wants to love you. Come to him, ask for forgiveness. He will give it to you. We're coming to a time now in our service, a time of invitation. So if God's calling you to take a next step in your faith, whatever that might be, I would love to help you with that. Whether you want to to become a Christian, you want to get baptized, you want to join our church, I would love to talk to you about that. We have um, counselors that would love to talk to you about that. Let's pray. Dear God, just thank you so much for today. Thank you that you're a God that that gives second chances and third and fourth and fifth and sixth. And I know I've used them. So God, I pray today that, that we will just continue to come back to you. That we will look at who we have in our lives, who we've given power and authority to, and decide, are they helping me closer to you or are they drawing me further away? I pray that we'll seek out godly people to speak into our lives to help us to know what you would have us do. So God, just thank you for everything you've given us. We ask all this in your name. Amen. Won't you stand?
Thanks.